Well, as I shared with you, when I came back to, to preach, I wanted to give it a little space because during that, that time of the fire in paradise, there, there occurs a lot of confusion and, and a lot of distress. And I went back and reflected on those things. And I, I wondered what it was. It's called fire brain. You ever heard that? I'm sure by now most of you have heard that term. The kind of thinking that blocks out certain messages of hope or certain kinds of uh, ways of interpreting the future. And uh, it was tough during those first weeks. And I had to reflect on these things, and you'll hear a little bit about that in a moment. But I was thinking how the brain works is a phenomenal thing with you. Uh, you think about it and you know, its capacity to interpret what it sees. Remember the kaleidoscope when you first encountered it? Uh, and you, you look through uh, this tube, remember the little tube you had, and you'd twist the end, and you'd see a design. You couldn't see it with your naked eye, and your brain told you, well, it's just rocks and mirrors. But somehow the brain interprets a message that is behind and beyond the rocks and mirrors and its beauty and its hope and its a capacity to see beyond what is in front of us. And I was uh, thinking about that uh, during this, this time uh, following the fire, uh, especially the first four or five weeks or maybe a couple of months, uh, when your interpretation uh, is, is limited and you're uh, not clear about your, your faith sometimes uh, as you encounter it. Confusion uh, takes over and you, you don't complete thoughts the same way. It's not overt, it's not uh, enormous, you function, but things are not quite right. I remember uh, wife and I were in Germany looking for a little town of Esslingen, our pastor uh, that was working, uh, I had his name, Dessler, uh was working on a PhD at Berkeley. And uh, we went to visit Helmut and his wife in a little town of Esslingen. I did pretty well. I'm one of those of these guys that uh, after you get pretty close, you can figure out they're just small German towns. You'll get to it eventually. And so we got lost. Uh, predictable. And uh, eventually, there's no gas stations. And at least this was many years ago. There was no gas stations in nearby towns uh, that you could find. So I said, well, there's a gast house. I'll just stop in there and get directions. I still remember uh, there's a wonderful smell of, of baked chicken. Uh, gast house is a, is a is a, a eating place where a lot of uh, evidently small-town German folks gather together for evening meals, mostly men, as it turns out. But I remember meeting this jovial host, if you will, uh, who greeted me, and I said, well, I was lost, and I was looking for this town of Esslingen. And uh, he was kind, and we, he smiled a lot, and he pointed the direction to Esslingen. And that was okay. I was getting ready to go, and his wife came up and said, what did the guy ask about? And uh, he was asking about directions to Esslingen. And she said, oh, that's... And then she pointed just the opposite direction than the way he had pointed. You know, that, that's sort of what occurred during that, that time after the fire, where you don't see things quite as clearly, and you need a little help interpreting things, and you have people who are not altogether uh, helpful in the way they, they see things. Firebrain, uh, they call it. And moments uh, were less clear, and I want to talk about them this morning as we eventually came to these texts in my uh, looking for God's promises to us, uh, and we sometimes don't see those promises as clear, especially at a moment uh, of death, and we're wondering how to approach uh, that with joy, because there can be joy in that uh, if we are faithful. 
I was uh, listening, I stayed with Dave and, and Tracy Rick, as you know, and uh, no, uh, nothing negative about his sermon that was already prepared, and it didn't particularly speak to the fire uh, in paradise, that what is the 11th of November, a couple of days after the fire. But I was listening to a sermon, uh, actually it was a Baptist sermon, and uh, I thought, well, that's, I don't always uh, do that. And I was listening, it was a great message, and the, the preacher, I was ready uh, at this point for some word of hope, because it was pretty discouraging to constantly watch the TV set, and you were glued to it, and your, your mind was just focused on the loss. Uh, you weren't so much there in Oroville, um, but in Paradise, uh, the people were all similar. They couldn't take their eyes off of the television for hope that perhaps you get a glimpse of your house still standing or your neighbor's house, because it isn't just your house. It's all of the family and community in your neighborhood that you're also tied to. It is, it is home that is lost. And so during those initial hours, you're, you're focused on this disorientation and you're focused on uh, some word of hope uh, that doesn't seem very clear. So I was listening to this uh, sermon and the preacher said, in everything, give thanks. Well, that's the last thing I wanted to do. I couldn't see anything really good going on because I've been watching the destruction uh, as the news coverage was going on during those days and couldn't take my eyes off of that path, that kind of thinking. And I, not that I was overwhelmed, but I was clearly not doing very well in terms of grieving over uh, the loss of everything. And, and people's stories, I'm sure if you recall, were just horrendous. Mine was uh, less horrendous than, than theirs. My house ultimately did survive, but my neighbors didn't. And so your loss is your neighbor's loss as well. But as he was preaching, he said, give thanks in all things. So how can you give thanks when all this is going wrong? And I realized I was on that path of seeing only the negatives. I and mean, that's part of firebrain. Uh, at that point, and there are others who are experiencing similar kinds of losses, and their brain is, is uh, moving the same way. You can only see negative things, especially at a moment of, of death. And some are going through those losses right now, not related to the fire, but it's the same kind of thing. And so the pastor said, give thanks, and I'll think, well, how can I give thanks? And he said, well, maybe you can't give uh, thanks for everything, but focus on one thing. Is there one thing you can be thankful for? And I thought, I said, well, yeah, I, I can give thanks to God for one thing. I, some good thing. I saw the generosity of the people, the church and willows, and the kindnesses. I can give thanks for one thing. Sorry? Your lasagna. <laughs> but I, you should, I was going to say that next, yeah. But the generosity of people started to show up. And I started to think about, as I got on that path, if, can you think of two good things? And that's how people had to operate at that. Can you think this way rather than think that way? Can you think of three good things that occurred this week? And pretty soon what I realized is that there's a different path that we take most of the time when we're healthy. But when our brain is unhealthy, we take another track, and it's usually very negative. In all things, give thanks. I was listening to the preacher, and it, it strikes me, you know, in, in the thoughts and scriptures that come to you, that the Bible really has these wonderful words of faith and hope for people in crisis. But we don't cling to them until all of a sudden we face a crisis. And everything God works for good. Remember the text in Romans? 
and everything God works for good with those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Works for good even amidst the fires. I went back to the story of Daniel. Remember that story where Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego from Sunday school? I still hope the stories are being told. Uh, were faithful Israelites in a time of exile. Uh, and in the book of Daniel, the story is told of these three particular young men who represented the faith of Israel in a time of, of exile. And those that were uh, exiled from paradise were in the same kind of exile. And it struck me that the words of Scripture is God's design speaking to us during all times of fire and, and stress. And in that story, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were uh, told they had to repent and worship the Babylonian gods. And Nebuchadnezzar was so enthralled with these three Israelites who refused to do that that he gave instructions for them to be thrown into the fire. It struck me that strange that those images came back to me uh, during the time of thinking about the fire in paradise. And as I, I recalled the story, um, part of God's word to us, if we are faithful, God will bring us through. God was in the fire with us at that point. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had the fiery furnace just blasted as high as it would go. And so much so that the, uh, the people that were guarding the, the, the furnace opened the door and they were killed because it was so hot. And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire. And somehow Nebuchadnezzar could see through a window into the fire and he could see that there were walking in the flames Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And there was a fourth one. God was in the fire with them, and they were not consumed. When you think about the stresses and fires that we face, the brain has a way of interpreting a path it's going to take. And we sometimes lose our faith that God is working still, even amidst the fires that threaten to destroy us. Seeing God's design in times of trial and distress. Interestingly enough, I want to say thanks to Wayne. By the time I got back in February for the first time, there was a message on my recorder. And he said, in the midst of the fire, of course it was two months later, uh, if you've got no place to go, you can come to stay with us. I really appreciated that after I returned home. There's people still praying for you. That's another part of that track that you lose uh, track of. Of course, it didn't help to know that Nadine's my name were on the missing persons list. And, and it, they didn't take it off. Uh, I called it and said, we're okay. But Dave Rick answered the phone a whole lot of times, and so did I, of people who said, you know you're on the missing persons list. I said, yeah, they just didn't take it off. But it's good to know uh, how much people care about you from different parts of one phone call, even from England, and appreciated that so much. God is in the fire with us, and we don't always think about who is coming to us and what promises are coming to us, what kind of love is shown to us, uh, because our minds can be so focused on how much is lost and how much is uh, overwhelming. And the lasagna was terrific. And I, when you look back at the kindness is shown, eventually if you walk that path that moves the right direction, the direction that God wants us to, and everything God works for good, we see that good things occurred all along. Uh, to us, and we sometimes appreciate it and appreciate it more, maybe in retrospect. I've been uh, reading Oliver Sacks's, you probably don't know that name, but he's a neurologist. You might have, have heard of his book, it was made into a movie called Awakenings. 
and I've been paying attention to uh, how uh, the brain works, particular, this fire brain concept has been a part of Ingrosmidine's, um, Alzheimer's is a part of it. But this wonderful neurologist in, uh, recounts the story of people who had an encephalitis-related coma. Uh, I don't know, you might have seen the movie Robin Williams played the doctor that uh, tripled, I think, the L-dopamine that was given to people. And these people who were in a coma in the nursing home uh, for a brief time awakened and they were back to their normal life and almost uh, ready to leave uh, the mental health facility where they were uh, cared for. And they awoke for a brief time and were themselves again. And so the title of the book was Awakening. And I've been reading some of the, the insights he has and calls everything in its place is the name of this book as he talks about uh, everything in his life as he's been a neurologist for many, many years, moved towards insights that he gained from every situation in his life experience, especially with mental health institutions. And he said there were two things that emerged in his experiences that were common to all healthy mental health institutions. Two things. One was music, and the second one was a garden. Uh, the image of the garden itself. He said when people facing whatever issues they are in these particular facilities find themselves in a garden, they find a comfort or uh, an ease of dealing with their stresses. And he said constantly these two images emerge, music and the garden. And I would suggest a third poetry uh, as a way of dealing with the, the connection between those two things. When I uh, Return to paradise, and probably February is when I started to think about it. I was aware that my, all the azaleas in the front yard and the backyard and the trees were all gone, and I had to cut down a lot. I have 65 azalea bushes or so, and they were pretty good sized ones. And I had to cut them all down, and everything around me was destroyed, and all my good neighbors' homes and their lives, uh, they were saved, but their homes were gone. So I lost neighbors, I lost their, they lost their houses, I lost my garage, and, but all these flowers I nurtured uh, were burned up. And I had to cut them down and take them to the dump, and there was two trips of, of burned up bushes. And when you're facing that kind of thing, your heart just sinks in. You wonder if there's gonna be a future at all when you look around and see everything is lost. And I had some, of course it was still, it was late January, early February, there were still dogwoods out front, and there were buds on the dogwood. And you couldn't help, you're drawn to some word of hope. And I saw the buds in the dogwoods, and I said, it's got to bloom. I didn't know if it would or not. And I kept waiting. It seems so difficult to wait for some word of hope when your spirit is pretty low. And it didn't bloom when it should have. It should have bloomed a lot sooner. But finally, one blossom popped up. And then the whole tree began to bloom. When you, you think of the garden restored, it's an image, isn't it? It's of Eden, where sinful man left the garden, and things were destroyed, and he fell from grace. And then there's the other garden the Garden in the New Testament, where, remember the story of, of John, or as he has Mary weeping at, in the garden tomb, 
And Jesus comes out, and she doesn't recognize him because what? She thought he was the gardener. So the garden is restored from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. The message of the garden restored. I get kind of weak and I think about it too. So we have glimpses of truth and hope that bind us together. And it comes from seeing God's design. Excuse me. Emotional. Connecting the dots. And, and then later, after I cut all those azaleas down, eventually they came back. So the, the message of hope is that God restores the garden that we think is sometimes lost. So we, we have this fire brain sometimes, these issues that seem to, to threaten to overwhelm us, but if we don't fail to get back on the right path, we're in trouble. But we have this path as God's people to see something different. Eventually, kind of good news, those dogwoods covered up the whole front yard. So when I'm looking out my window, I see nothing but the trees that are healthy, uh, Japanese maple as well. So all that destruction that is on the other side I can't see, you can only see uh, the blooming trees and the promise of the garden restored. I was, uh, I got a bit through the, uh, so I think, oh, the, including him, one of the things that always uh, struck me, when you come back into paradise, at least when you did initially, you could see these signs uh, of the phoenix, we will rise again. And I thought of Maya Angelou's poem, and I'm sure some of you have heard it, it has to do with an African-American woman who has got a spirit about her that rises, uh, even though there's all kinds of, of reasons that uh, she, as an African-American woman, uh, should be put down. But and she ends with, I will rise. And we have taken her thoughts and put it into a whole lot of other contexts. We rise again. And if you think about it, there is something in the human spirit, that design of God, I believe, that we do rise we rise in many different ways. We will not be overcome. There is something within us that refuses to give up. But there's also a beauty in the creation. And I, I think of this, this wonderful uh, hymn, A Promise, that uh, is especially meaningful to me, I'm sure to you too. But if you think of somebody who is, who is dying, her uh, husband was dying when she wrote these words, Now We Sleep, I think, I believe it was the author. But in the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree, that, the whole image is of the garden being restored. And, and she says it finally in the, the conclusion, uh, in our death, eternity, or in our death, a resurrection, at the last of victory. So that the image of hope and triumph overcomes the darkness, but it's in the image of the garden again. So I go back to think of this neurologist, Matt, uh, Oliver Sacks, the image of the garden <clears throat> excuse me, and music come together in poetry in the spirit of resurrection, in the last of victory. And that's the promise of the garden restored for each of us, that in Christ there is a promise of resurrection if we do not give up hope.